0: Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle-grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers a true reason it's off-limits. Discover Doom Dune's secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N dot com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show. Each episode, I interview a different guest, from writers and painters to musicians and filmmakers. Together, we investigate the creative process and the reasons behind why we create. Leaving an old path behind and starting a new one can be intimidating, but the truth is when we turn the page, we're not starting from zero. We take with us everything we've learned so far. This week's guest, Eliana Morin, shares her experience with this concept in growing as an artist. Eliana is a storyboard artist and revisionist working in the animation industry. We discuss finding inspiration in others, choosing art as a career path, how to grow as a creative, and more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Eliana. I'm super excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for inviting me. This is great. Yeah,
0: it's good to talk with you. And I'm really curious. So I've known you for a little bit now, but I've never actually asked you about your early days in the creative space. How young were you when you first started playing around with with art and deciding that that's something you wanted to pursue?
1: Uh, I've always been an artist, I think, uh, by the age of three. Actually, I was already... Uh, like doodling and making like colorful spaghetti art.
0: Well, is spaghetti art, like art in your food? Or is this like a term of some specific <laughs> technique? Like, I don't know what you're talking about.
1: It would be like a, a technique, I guess. As a three-year-old, you don't know what you're seeing, I guess, or how to put the form on the paper, if that makes sense. So I just get like a bunch of uh, color crayons or pens or whatever, or even markers, like dried up markers, Whatever my, my grandparents had around, and uh, they'd give me all this paper, and I'd just go to town. And uh, I draw, I don't know, I I'd draw nothing. <laughs> I started from nothing, basically. Um, so it looked like spaghetti art, it's just scribbles on a piece of paper different types of colors.
0: I see I'm picturing now what you mean. Okay. (laughs) Did you come up with this spaghetti art term? Or had you heard this before? I haven't heard this.
1: I don't know. Actually, I think I, I heard it in, it must have been in high school or something. And it just kind of stuck. And it made sense to me. I was like, Oh, it does look like spaghetti art.
0: Yeah, now that I know what you're talking about, it makes perfect sense. So you always enjoyed doing that when you were a kid, and then did you did you find yourself keeping wanting to progress in that and and try out different things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My mother used to be a fine artist. She started by doing life art uh, or life drawings. She would uh, take a magazine uh, picture, you know, of a model or something of just the face, and uh, copy it. So basically, like freehand it. Um, I don't know what the technique is called actually, but she would just like sketch it out with a pencil on paper, and uh, she would make like these really realistic looking uh, portraits of people. And eventually, she started teaching me. So by the age of like five and six, I was already drawing portraits. They weren't. They weren't as accurate. As I wanted them to be because they were basically like just a potato head looking drawing with the two almond eyes, you know, the pupils obviously had to be there, the nostrils go right in the middle, the hairline, like she would teach me where the hairline would go, basically how to measure where the eyes would go in comparison to, you know, the lips and the nose and the ears very technical, I guess, at first, just if that makes sense.
0: It doesn't. It, it surprises me, too, because, again, that's such a young age and you're here learning from her in such a specific way. And mm-hmm. like, I guess, did you feel like you were aspiring to to be like her in, in that sense?
1: Oh, I think so. Yeah, I I felt uh, kind of curious as to why she didn't continue but because she was really good, um, but I wanted to also improve. Like it, it also, it was also like a push for me. It, I felt very encouraged, uh, very supported in that direction. So I just thought, oh, okay, I'm good at art, you know, and uh, that's all I did. I, I tried to progress as much as I could throughout elementary school. I was doing everybody else's uh, um, assignments during art which you shouldn't do I don't think anybody should do this but I was too <laughs> nice I was way too nice and I love to draw anyway and I just felt like a confidence boost whenever somebody would ask me like hey just like you're really good can you like draw this for me um, and and I'd be like yeah sure they would get like maybe an A or whatever and I would always get A's and B's with with art, which I mean, I don't know how they could grade art in the first place, but I always felt really good about getting high marks in art and helping others do the same, even though they were all my drawings. And at times I would teach them actually, like my techniques, quote unquote, (laughs) I was still very young. I think there was like an assignment where we had to draw a dolphin, you know, jumping out of the water. And when there's this sunset in the background. So everybody had to do the same thing with two palm trees to frame the picture, if, uh, if you can picture that in your head. And, uh, and that's what everybody had to do. Somehow, like mine and, and this other girl who, who later on became my best friend. We were really good. Like We started uh, tag teaming and and drawing other people's stuff and helping them out as well. That was one assignment that I do remember was uh, one that I was drawing the most for everybody because nobody could draw a dolphin. I feel like maybe if I saw that assignment today, I'd be like, yeah, you didn't know how to draw a dolphin either, but you tried.
0: What grade is this?
1: Oh, this must have been grade... Probably grade two. And I this would is, say. The,
0: you're Canadian. So, grade mm-hmm. two, is that is that like second grade in the US? Or when does that, when do things get different? Do you know?
1: Uh, oh, I'm, I'm originally from Argentina. So, oh, okay. When well, maybe
0: that's even more different.
1: Yeah. So, like their level of education is like, I guess, kind of what Japan has, where you have to learn your timetables, your divisions, all that stuff in very early years, like grade one and two. And then you just, you know, you progress from there on out. And so the art was very, uh, very much like arts and crafts. For the most part, you were building stuff. Uh, I guess it was architectural, nothing fancy, but the technique of, uh, you know, getting popsicle sticks, gluing them together (laughs) with, I don't know what type of glue we were using. I think it was just like just white glue I'm pretty sure that's all we were using to stick them together and make little houses out of them and uh, and then paint them, you know, figure out what you want to do. And then they would grade you on it, you know, based on, I guess, how creative your house looked. Um, Argentina, even back then, was very poor. Uh, We weren't as rich either. Like we couldn't afford school supplies or as many. So whatever you used was like kind of special to get the assignment done, period. So uh, that was really cool. It, it actually taught me how to use uh, whatever I had available to me.
0: Yeah, that, I think that's something that I found in a lot of the conversations is having some sort of limitation. And in, in, in this case, a, a very real limitation of you know just what you have access to as as a kid mm-hmm. but so many people so many artists find that that limitation ends up pushing them somewhere where they might not have gotten to at least not have gotten to as quickly yeah so not to not to grab something from too far back in the conversation but the other thing that stuck out at me is that you said you were like 5 or 6 years old and then like hardcore judging your own like oh I can <laughs> I can do better than this like <laughs> I can do better like I can put the the facial parts in the right place better than I have. Um, I feel like I have that I've had that maybe since middle school, high school, and then continuing on until now, but Mm -hmm. I don't remember ever having that as a kid. And I don't know how rare that is in general, but I don't know. So, So you specifically remember like kind of judging your own work and wanting to get better. And then has that, has that feeling carried through to today?
1: Absolutely. Um, I, a lot of my friends say that I'm uh, very hard on myself, (laughs) which they are, right? I I can be pretty harsh looking, like we are our own worst critic, right? So whenever I look at my stuff, I'm like, oh, okay, like I could have like pushed this side, I could have made that arm a little shorter to push the perspective more. Um, I always want to do better. You know, Uh, I'm a very ambitious person. So, when I look at my art, I'm like, "Is this the best that I have?" And I have grown a little kinder to myself as the years go on because that kind of drive can burn you out, and it isn't the wisest approach or the wisest. Uh, what's the what's the word? Um, mental state. Yeah, like Thought it puts process? you.
0: It puts you in a mental state that you know you might end up feeling like, oh, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I, I, I'm i not, I'm not able to achieve my vision for this. But that might be because you're still in the process of getting there, or, you know, you, you just don't always feel happy with what you have.
1: Yeah, it's like you, I, I'm sure a lot of artists have felt this even back then. I can't remember if it's Renoir or Monet. I always get those two mixed up. Pretty sure it's Renoir, uh, who got super angry and would break his canvases if, uh, I think I'm wrong, it might not have been him, but he would break his canvases and destroy his art if it didn't turn out the way he wanted. And sometimes, I would say sometimes I have done that uh, if I didn't feel, I guess, as connected to my art, which I I would say I don't. And and this, uh, this type of mentality came from high school where, I would draw the same thing over and over again, every time it got better. And then I realized I'm not attached to any of these drawings because I can draw the same thing over and over again. I'm the artist, you know what I mean? Like, I'm the one producing this art. It's not the art itself. That's not what's permanent. Because you can burn a piece of paper, you can break a piece of art, you can definitely destroy that. But can you destroy the artist? I don't think so. That's pretty hard, right? You can't destroy your skill. You can only grow it. So I focused on that. And I realized I was less stressed about preserving my little sketches and my sketchbooks, which were really crappy. And I became less concerned about making a drawing pretty and putting all that pressure you know, on that one piece that I wanted to get done. And uh, it was just way more freeing to think of it that way. Uh, cause again, you can grow your skill, but you cannot, uh, you can't improve, uh, that one piece. If you, if that's the only piece that you're working on, you have to continue, you have to draw it. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to draw it yeah. over and over and over again for it to get better.
0: That's interesting too, from, from your perspective with, you know, I'm assuming here you're talking about your drawing and things like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about with me with writing, and I talked with a couple other writers, um, specifically the episode with MC Beeler and the episode with Fraser Alexander. They were like rewriting the same book tons of times, almost like you're Mm -hmm. saying, I'm making the same, I'm making the same drawing Mm -hmm. and kind of doing iterations. And and I had that too, with the first book that I wrote, writing multiple drafts and then seeing myself improve. Mm -hmm. But again, like, at some point it's like, well, that either needs to be done and you work on a new project, but what you come away with is that skill. So yeah. redrawing the same thing over and over again, and you may never be happy with that particular drawing. And it might be that you move on to a completely different subject, right? but you had the same like kind of reiteration process, but it looks so different. And I guess that's a big separating point too, with like, if you have a drawing, I mean, I guess you could, and correct me if I'm wrong with with what your process might be, but you know, you make changes to different bits and pieces of the of the picture. Mm-hmm. But it seems like starting over and from scratch is the easiest way to go. Whereas I find when I'm making revisions in my books, I can concentrate on such a small area and rewrite just a sentence, like work on the sentence level. Mm-hmm. And that can make the bigger picture better versus the drawing. It feels like like it's almost the only way to do it is to crumple it up and start a new one, which again, <laughs> in writing, a lot of people recommend that. they Like have a day yes. where you just you just throw out whatever you're writing and don't worry about that because you need to grow and move on.
1: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. That's usually how – once I found out that I wasn't attached to my drawings – it made it easier for me to give them away even uh even like selling them what's hard at one point but I had to accept it you know this baby is going to be in the hands of somebody else and all you can do is hope that they preserve it and if they don't you know I have to live with that thought too <laughs> and, and just accept it because it might end up you know it might end up somewhere else uh who knows it might end up in the garbage or, or whatever but I mean, you hope not, obviously, you spend so many hours on that portrait, or working on that commission for somebody. Um, and so you hope that they keep it forever, because that was, you know, it's a special thing. You you spend so many years uh, with your craft, trying to improve yourself, all for what, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you want to make sure that it's preserved at some point. That, that's kind of like one of the sad things about being an artist, I guess, like, I look at Van Gogh and now that he's dead, only now are we, you know, valuing his art and <laughs> making exhibitions of it. And it took him so long. He only sold one painting, you know, and I guess now we have the luxury of the internet <laughs> and, and more uh, more interests with uh, fan art. You know, you have different comic books, TV shows, movies you know the medium does expand for an artist today which is a huge blessing but still i i feel like i cannot be as attached to my art again if one day it gets ripped away from me <laughs> you know you don't want that that heartbreak you don't want that agony to to stay with you or uh, or you don't want to experience that because yes i believe that artists are very emotional we put it's like you're putting your entire soul. Anybody, really, even even an author, you can even feel uh, with uh, the way they express their words through the novel to like describe the environment and the characters. It makes a huge difference. You you understand that that person has a soul, you know, has a heart. And I believe that me as an artist, I have to be in a good mood when I draw something. Because if I'm in a bad mood, it's going to show through my lines. It's going to show through uh, through my colors.
0: When you talk about that, are you afraid that it it shows your mood? Or is it affecting, or is it making it not look as good?
1: It's not going to look as good. Especially for me, I mess it up all the time if I'm not in a good mood. Especially if I'm depressed. Because, you know, everybody goes through depression. Of course, uh, it, if you're not taking the time for yourself and uh you know for your mental health and and to rest and recollect yourself before coming back to the uh to the project it's gonna you know it's gonna really affect the project I believe uh yeah it's gonna affect the way that you draw in general I, I at least for me my lines look more jagged and like more frustrated I'm Going over the same line eight times before moving on uh, to the next uh, figure. And that's not good. <laughs> you can feel the frustration. At least I think so. When somebody looks at the drawing, they're like, oh, yeah, that looks intense. It looks like uh, very, what's the word again? <laughs> I'm running out of words. See, this is why I'm an artist. I, I'm not like you see that
0: you're saying still, you see the frustration of yourself.
1: Yes, in yeah. the lines, it's the same way if you are feeling good and elated and happy, your drawings are going to look much looser, I believe, uh, you know, less stressed and uh, and the emotion that you're trying to portray, even if it's sadness, it's going to look good um, in the end.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's why it's interesting to me, like your perspective on that, because my instinct as a writer is that, oh, it might be separate from like you might have a separate style when you're in a different mood. Mm-hmm. But for me, I know that I end up trying to play into that style where if something is bothering me, I will act like if I'm not writing, it'll make it worse. So I'll end mm-hmm. up writing kind of through whatever situation is happening. Mm-hmm. And I see that it can come out in my words, but then I also see some raw emotion. So like I'll look for ways to connect with my characters Mm, On that same level and say, oh, this is where I connect with that character on this frustration, but it's explained through, you know, whatever plot element is, is happening, whatever that character is going through is going to be different than what I'm going through, but Mm -hmm. there's some sort of connection in the frustration. Yes. And then it's in the revision process though that okay, you know, maybe it was a little over the top, you know, when I went through <laughs> yeah. it and, and then I'll maybe dial it back or make it appropriate for the scene. But it's interesting because my approach at least so far has been to take advantage of when I'm frustrated both to help myself get through the frustration but then also mm. as like a shortcut to be like okay, this is how I can express that emotion. But I see how it's maybe different if if you're trying to establish a visual style right. and you're saying, I don't want this to get in the way of it. it whereas, <laughs> you know, I think different artists might have a different response to that, where maybe Totally. You know, an artist might be like, Well, I wanna see that. I want people to see that I was frustrated.
1: For sure. Yeah, you definitely have those uh I was one of those artists in in high school. And uh, later on when I got into uh, into college, I realized like, oh, I have to <laughs> Uh, rethink this it's not it's not visual arts anymore it's not fine arts anymore it's animation you know it's um yeah it's not life drawing anymore like you're not you're not painting or drawing fruits and uh (laughs) and and vegetables and making them look you know you're not trying to be an impressionist or you're not trying to be picasso you have to draw what's in front of you now and uh make it look cartoony, you know, make it look like something that, yes, it's, it draws from reality, but how do you make it look friendly? How do you make it look like it could be alive, even though it's an inanimate object? object? But yeah, it it got very technical for me, not so loosey-goosey uh, <laughs> in, uh, in animation school, but, uh, but yeah, it, I, I also write here and there so I definitely agree with uh, with what you're saying about writing you do have to have that one first draft of like raw emotion and go through things with your character put yourself in their shoes how would they you know think and feel in certain situations even though of course these are impossible situations but these are real characters so how can you make them come alive and yeah in in a In a way, since animation or through animation, you can do a lot of storytelling. These characters that you create have to be alive. You have to convince the audience that they are alive, that they do exist. And this is a principle that I learned from Glenn Keane, who later on became an idol, almost. Uh, I idolized his art. I was like, this man can draw. There's something very special about him. And I think college was the first time that I, that I heard about him. I never heard of any of these artists in the animation industry who are like, you know, Disney legends. It felt like all my other classmates have heard of them before. But me, I was like, I felt like the noob. Like, I had no idea who these people were. I didn't know who these, you know, Disney animators and concept artists were. And all of a sudden, my friends are like, I don't know, fangirling over these people. And then when I came across Glen Keane, I was like, okay, I see what the hype is all about. <laughs> um, so yeah, later on you're learning about storytelling and realizing, yeah, this is this is definitely what I what I want to do and stick with for the rest of my life, hopefully.
0: So you mentioned going to animation school and learning about these different figures that were important. So when did it first cross your mind that okay, you know, obviously from a young age, you were thinking, I am an artist, like this is what I like to do. Did you think about pursuing some type of art professionally starting at that age as well? Or was it, was it a different moment? And then how did you take the passion for art in general and focus it onto animation?
1: Mm, um, it's a good question. Uh, so growing up, art was just a lot of fun for me. I, I liked to entertain as a kid. I was always, like, trying to put together, uh, like, different plays, (laughs) choreograph dances and stuff with my cousins and with my siblings. And obviously, it would go horribly because nobody wants to listen as a kid. And me being a kid, I'd get frustrated and then be like, okay, fine, there's no show for the parents. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, I never took art seriously during that time. I just saw saw it as fun, like, I can draw any scenario, you know, in my head. I can draw any character. I can trace, you know. I just felt like that boost of confidence. It was just a lot of fun for me. And later on in high school, I was I had to think, or I started to think more um, critically about what I was going to do for a career. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I can. I don't want to get into like, I don't want to get a desk job. I don't want to get into anything that has to do with math. I hated math. I hated English. I hated reading. I hated everything. I'm like kind of dyslexic too. So I just didn't want anything to do with like the academic side. I just wanted, I just wanted to be an artist. But I quickly learned that artists don't make a lot of money. (laughs) So How am I going to, you know, move out, pay bills if um, if I can't monetize fine art, which was what I was really good at at the time, I think. Again, I'd probably look at look back at it now and or look at my old stuff now and be like, yeah, like this stuff is too emotional, too cringy, put it away forever. But yeah, it. I had to think, like, okay, how how am I going to make money? And I watched uh, behind the scenes. I think this was in grade 10. I watched the behind the scenes of Finding Nemo, which became, like, one of my all-time favorite animated films. And I had to know, like, what goes on? Like, how was this created? Because it's such a good movie. And, yeah, watching the the behind the scenes uh, special feature that they had on the DVD really inspired me I was like wow these are all artists they're all creative they're having fun they're making stories they're really funny I want to do this (laughs) I realized like yeah that's when that's probably when I realized that I was like this is what I really want to do like this is how I want to um if I were to make art for the rest of my life and make money at the same time this is (laughs) this is the way to do it So, yeah, I've realized, okay, I will go to college for that, uh, study it, get to college. And it's nothing like what I imagined. I was still super ambitious. I still had, man, I I had a drive. And I think I still have it. It's just more mature, (laughs) Now it's it's more realistic, I guess. It's got more perspective. But back then it was just like I had a lot of energy and obviously, you know, being young and, uh, and naive and that does help you are experimenting more. You're not afraid to try new things.
0: What do you feel like you were naive about specifically?
1: I would say the type of people I would be working with, like obviously when they're doing a behind the scenes or... I guess feature or when they when they are behind the camera, you know they are extra chipper, you know about the project that they're doing because it's almost like a recruitment video. Uh, You want to make sure that you know the young person feels excited about joining this crew, and that's great. I actually like that's what got me in, you know, in the first place. But the projects themselves are. Uh, they, they take, you know, a long time. That's for sure. Getting into college, I realized like, oh, man, like 3D animation, that's hard. Frame by frame, because we also learned 2D animation, that was hard too. But I wanted to go to Disney so bad. like I wanted to get into Pixar so bad that I would burn myself out uh, trying to figure out how to, um, how to animate and all that which I wasn't very good at uh, I learned that very quickly that I didn't want to be an animator but I wanted to draw I wanted to keep drawing I knew that I just wanted to make art for movies so I just took my time to like I guess put some grace on myself and had to face the facts. you know like okay I'm not good at animating Uh, I won't be an animator, but I can still be in the animation industry. So what can I do? I was like, okay, I'll be a character designer because they draw. (laughs) They draw a lot. And then I realized, oh, character designers, you know, they do draw a lot. They're very, very good. There's a lot of talent there. Uh, But personally, I didn't find myself drawing a lot, especially in... uh, in college. I found out that the process was more technical. Uh, I realized, okay, maybe not character designing or anything, but I still want to draw. What can I do? I still want to paint and and do all this stuff, like create beautiful pictures for, you know, to, to inspire others, basically do what Glenn Keane does. You know, he puts out, you know, these beautiful concept arts and, uh, I wanted to do that. So I was like, okay, I'll be a concept artist. And man, was it hard. Like I I had to learn composition, color theory, which I wasn't getting enough of in college anyway. But I did learn Photoshop. So that was good. I I would say that college, uh, if I can say this, uh, college didn't teach me anything. If anything, I learned how to learn. I learned how to learn... uh, Softwares uh, what to look for, but I didn't really learn um, anything that the industry actually had going on at the time. It, that was very outdated uh, and we found out later on in our last year I think that our uh, curriculum <laughs> I don't know what the the actual word like the, the lessons that they were teaching were not industry standard so when I first found that out, and this was during my last year of all years, I barely finished my final film. I just wanted to pass. And I was like, I'm done with this. Like, it's, it's just, it felt like a scam. And uh, so finished... College, graduated real quick. I would say I barely passed as a result because I just gave up halfway through uh, with this knowledge. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So, so this is interesting to me, you going through this. And I imagine that's a frustrating aspect to it where you feel like you're not being prepared for the technology that's out there in current day. Right. And I actually do think that this is. This happens across the board just in other disciplines as well, is because the real world moves so fast from competition. Yes. And the academic world moves a little bit slower. Yes. And it's interesting, though, that you, like, going to, like, you mentioned it was teaching you how to learn.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: in a lot of ways, I know that the best classes I had at my university were classes that were teaching me how to think properly about things and not necessarily the technical aspects because I mm. had classes that were technical aspects. Like I did a class on how to use flash. Cause I thought, Oh, like using flash, that might be an important thing. But then of course, like flash isn't around anymore. Like it got replaced. Like it was pretty much getting replaced as I was taking the class. Uh, but I wasn't really even fully aware of that. And then also I took a class that it was this all about how to make like apps for the iPhone, but again, that was kind of getting outdated, like as it was happening too. Right. Uh, just because new things are coming out, and so yes. if you're really going to specialize in it, you need to be like in the real world, letting all that hit you and adapting to it.
1: Yes. Yeah. But the
0: but the classes that I found most valuable were the ones that oh I'm prepared to to think through a situation, or I I see patterns that. Happen no matter what the technology is, and therefore Mm -hmm. I can tackle those problems. And I think that that actually ends up happening through life too. So I think about the different jobs that I had, and yeah, there's certain things that I I spent a whole lot of time learning how to do a technical aspect, and then you know years down the line, you try to do the same exact thing, but everything's completely different. The the whole world is different in the matter of a couple months. Yeah, but it's those those big concepts in learning how to think through something that ends up sticking with me.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So yeah, there's frustration for sure about, oh, I'm not prepared to use these tools. And why did I go to school? Because now I don't even know how to do anything. (laughs) Right. But there's, I think there's something that, that can be unaccounted for if you're at a school that's, you know, teaching you how to think and not just to mindlessly do.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. So like, I, I didn't know. I just didn't know that this was, you know, the The actual takeaway from school at the time, I was very frustrated. Obviously, with uh, with learning this revelation, if you will, um, I was just so upset. Like I was like, okay, I uh, I don't know what I'm gonna do now. You know, I was set up for nothing. You know what I mean? I had a portfolio, but it wasn't good enough. Uh, I was trying to apply for jobs, and I couldn't find any locally. Uh, I couldn't get into Toronto, for example, which has a lot of animation studios. And so this was like 2014, uh, just graduated. Now I'm resting, and I had to tell myself to rest because I I had to com- calm down, you know, from that that rush of like assignments and and panic. <laughs> so to to get everything done. So yeah that the wisest thing to do is to you know take some time for yourself take good care of yourself and then pick up where you left off if you still want to it is a good time to evaluate whether or not you still want this you know which is a real question and it's a valid one uh, that must be explored I think because I thought of it and because I'm also stubborn (laughs) I was like, yes, I still want it. And because I'm still ambitious, you know, I still felt that drive even after being burned out. Once I rested, fed myself, took some time off, didn't do any art at all whatsoever, I I realized, okay, I think I got my drive back. I think I'm still inspired. I'm still motivated to keep going. But I would have to reinvent myself if I'm going to get into the industry, because it was kind of like a fight. Um, I took all my life drawing assignments, uh, all those figure drawings I had done. I took any assignments that I had done. I I deleted most of them. (laughs) I threw away a lot of my drawings. I kept a few that I was proud of, but they were so little. Like I could probably count them on one hand, the amount of assignments and drawings that I actually did keep from college. But the rest was, uh, yeah, I chucked the rest and I was like, okay, I'm starting over. I'm going to relearn all of it. And this time, I'm going to do what I actually want to do, which I failed to mention. Back in college, I realized that storyboarding is something that I really wanted to do in the end. I was told that it was very, very hard to get into uh, uh, because, you know, they're always hiring the the older guys. <laughs> they're always hiring the, uh, the people that know, that have been doing it for 30-plus years. They know the industry. They know storytelling. So they're not going to hire a noob, right? Especially one that hasn't learned about storyboarding or much of storytelling in college to begin with. So it kind of lit a fire under my butt <laughs> in a way. I... <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, you said I couldn't do this. Yes. I'm going to yes. do it. <laughs> and like, I will show you. Yeah. So as soon as I graduated, I started looking into storyboard artists and podcasts and uh, learning from Glenn Keane, even. Uh, I was listening to interviews by him and different lessons he had done because he would teach here and there. And I would take little things that, people were saying about the industry, people who were in the industry, and uh, I would learn from them and then realize like, okay, I need to start networking then and find, you know, make friends that are in the industry. I can't just, you know, keep listening to people who are not, you know, they're not physically with me. Uh, I haven't met them personally. I was just, you know, listening to their success stories here and there. So I went out and there's this, uh, I think it's called Taffy, and it's a networking event for um, animation, people in the industry, and students, where we get to do some networking, meet face-to-face, do a bit of interviewing, and apply for jobs on-site. So I went to that with my new portfolio, <laughs> which I was kind of proud of, uh, because I had taken everything that I had learned from these artists... And applied it. And as soon as I showed it to uh, a few professionals, one of them, who's named uh, Bianca Serki, who's an amazing, amazing woman. She's a storyboard artist. She uh, looked at my portfolio and encouraged it, basically. Like Even though I didn't have many good things, she found good things in it which I thought, oh, okay, I have potential, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I felt like all that work, you know, that I had been doing within the year and a half to, to grow and relearn things, uh, you know, all that work actually paid off. And so I went back home and (laughs) redid my portfolio basically all over again, you know, with the new knowledge and, um, this is like, you know, starting from a clean slate and starting over, uh, finding out other styles, redrawing things over and over again.
0: It's almost like what you were talking about as a kid drawing the same thing over and over or like, you yes. know, when I was mentioning it about rewriting the books over and over, mm-hmm. you're starting over and taking everything that you learned and, you know, you were in college and then you decided that, well, not everything that I learned there was even helpful so mm-hmm. you know some people if you if you're not making you can end up making the same mistake again. Well, well, I just need to go to a different college, get a different kind of degree. Right. But but there you are saying, well no, I I know that that's not the only place to learn something, so I'm going to teach myself how to think about things by all these resources that don't cost another college degree. Yeah. I'm going to start meeting people and I think yeah. that that's really powerful that you were able to make those decisions to to put yourself on a good path without, you know, cause I, I think a lot of people would hit that discouragement and just say, well, now I have all this, you know, college debt, I better just get a normal job and give up on it.
1: Right. Exactly. But it sounds
0: like you were very like, um, stubborn is not the right word because it's so <laughs> negative, but, 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 uh, but the good kind of stubborn, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. But like, don't get me wrong. I did have different, um, Uh, minimum wage jobs in between none of them none of which I was good at I got fired from the first one the second one was like a car wash so easy stuff just working outside washing cars whatever Uh, I think the third one or fourth one was like working at Michael's as a cashier so it took me about like three years until I broke into the industry it took me a a while Um, I was picking up artsy projects that I could do, like uh, design a logo, illustrate this, uh, I don't know, this comic book, or even helped color some comic books here locally for a few comic book artists here in the city. So I did have something for my portfolio. I was, I was looking, I was actively looking for artsy jobs, and um, they were very, very hard to find. But whatever little that I had, again, it's that same principle. Use whatever you have, and 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 build up from it. So I did it. I, I did that, and uh, eventually, and at my goals there, I was working with one of the ladies there. Her name is uh, Sierra Otteback, and she's also in the industry. Uh, back then, she was also trying to get into the industry, um, and. I feel like it was God's providence that we were in the same store working together. And, um, cause she had gone to Sheridan and I was like, Ooh, that's awesome. You know, that's actually a really good school. What did you learn? Uh, tell me what you learned. You know, I was hungry for knowledge <laughs> and, uh, um, she actually thought I went to Sheridan because of my skill level, which I found super flattering, but, you know, at the same time, I was like, no, I actually went to like a pretty—I wouldn't say crappy school, but uh, it was just a small community college, and uh, it didn't show me everything that Sheridan had. You know what I mean? So by comparison, I was always—I was like, you went to like this royal artsy school, and and I, I just went to community college to learn about the stuff. <laughs> it's just, and, like the comparison is just so different, or it was different for me.
0: There is a connection though, too, with what you said at the beginning of this episode where you're talking about when you're in Argentina and you don't have maybe all the resources to create that you wanted to, but you're finding a way to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's similar to me listening to you explain it. It sounds so similar where, okay, I don't have the preferred college path that this other like really high-end school would, would offer, but I have you know, have this kind of grit and Mm -hmm. I have this moxie and I've got this passion to learn and I'm going to take in all these resources that I can. I'm going to find everything that I can to make this work. And that, Mm -hmm. to me, that, and maybe it's just the writer and me trying to make all the connections, but like, (laughs) that's exactly the same story as what you had Mm -hmm. in Argentina. Well, I'm grabbing this to make, oh, like, oh, this one piece of information is so valuable. And I don't I don't get things like this all the time. So I'm going to like use this to the fullest to mm-hmm. to make what I want to make ha- happen, happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's more like, you know, you're really using your creativity every single time. So yeah, we became friends. And um, I think she had already worked at a studio before, but she was also trying to get back in. So I was like, great, we can help each other out. This is awesome. You know, started talking about animation, what we could work on together. and. I think she had moved away to Toronto at the time. She had, she got a job in a small production studio where they did storyboards. And I had left Michaels also to work at a small production studio here in Windsor called Sway Productions. Uh, and I learned a lot. I actually was able to uh, storyboard a few commercials there. It was like a really neat experience to get back into three D. 3D animation, look at compositions, There's just how they do uh, special effects, how they edit sound even to make their voices sound slightly different. Uh, they would record everything in-house and do everything in-house. And it was awesome just learning how to direct even. I was working with the directors because we were such a, such a small crew. I thought, okay, I want. I kind of want to do that, but I don't want live action. <laughs> you know, we were doing a lot of live action stuff. I still wanted to get into animation, so uh, I learned a lot about, like, you know, cameras and camera placements. And the director was like super awesome at showing me this technique on how to draw out a plan as to you know where each camera is gonna be. So I took that with me, but I wasn't using it. Not up until I guess now.
0: So what what are you currently working on now? Like like what's the what's like the, the kind of daily activity for you like right now professionally with as a storyboard revisionist?
1: Now it's just, you know, every day I work on preschool shows. Um, I've been doing preschool shows since the beginning of my career, which after Suede Productions, uh, my friend Ciara called me up. They needed, you know, another person to help uh, revising this show. And I said yes. And I moved on a whim and uh, lived in a hotel for like 10 days <laughs> just, to, <laughs> just to get started. And uh, yeah, that, was, that would have been my first contract in, in Toronto before getting into, you know, later on Nelvana entertainment which was the biggest company I ever worked for I stayed there for two years uh, revising shows and doing some color styling but mostly revising after that was done within two years I got a job at Guru super fun crew amazing like every every studio I've worked at so far now I'm at Pipeline uh, Studios but every studio I've been to so far like the talent is like it pushes you. It, the talent that I've seen so far, it, it always inspires me to push forward, which is it's really great considering that last year, I, I of course, 2020, it happened and I, I felt so overwhelmed, so discouraged that I deleted my Instagram account, uh, which was my art Instagram. And again, I needed a clean slate, I guess.
0: Yeah, there's the theme again. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Like things were so overwhelming. Uh, it, it was a very sad year, you know, not going to lie. A lot of things, you know, you could you couldn't do things all of a sudden and I wasn't finding a lot of inspiration. I was seeing more mourning around me, which doesn't help. <laughs> you know, it doesn't especially for an artist being so emotional. And I I like to think like I'm an empath as well. So like looking around what's going on, you know, the environment is just not good right now.
0: (laughs) It's almost like that link to having this clean slate might fit somewhat in with some of these you talk about having different contracts and it sounds like just the nature of the industry is you might work on one project at one studio and then move on to something else Mm -hmm. and do you feel like that fits into your personality well with like this this idea of like okay i'm like i learned what i can learn here and i'm gonna learn what i can learn there
1: yes every production at least up until now i feel a little more confident in what i do but back then i was like very hungry for knowledge. so uh, whatever the directors knew I wanted to know uh, why did they make the decisions that they made how were they making those decisions uh, based on what you know and I wanted to know every single detail and I was just hungry for for more knowledge. I, I was hungry for you know how to improve myself, how to improve as an artist, how to grow a thicker skin, even which is really hard again I feel like a lot of artists are you know we are emotional we are sensitive and that's great that's a great quality but sometimes we do need to learn how to put on that thick skin I had to tell myself that it's not personal it's just business you know it's not personal it's just the budget it's not personal it's just the deadline it's not personal. It's just everybody's tired of the same thing. You know, everybody's tired of of the same project. It's not personal. It's just everybody's going through the same frustration as you. And that's, that's why there's a team, you know, that's why we are called teams in different productions. And yeah, it, it may not be the easiest thing to hear. You won't always have somebody looking out for you in the industry, because everybody's, of course, we're all focused on our own projects, our own lives. So it's very important that you have people outside of the industry that you can count on. And and as well inside, if you can find somebody in the industry that you can count on for support for, you know, that pat on the back, <laughs> or a shoulder to to lean on or cry on, uh, that's rare. And that's wonderful. And I think like, definitely keep those uh, friendships around and help each other out, you know, grow that. Uh, I hope that more people teach each other how to be more, more, a little more sensitive, a little more open, considerate of others and, and, and the energy that's being put out there. Of course, burnout is real. Everybody's burned out and people do get burned out with each uh, production.
0: You know, you talk about different things that you've learned at each job and and just that a burnout that can happen in the industry. Have you learned how to combat that through your different experiences?
1: Yes, I've learned that I shouldn't work overtime <laughs> unless I absolutely can, uh, which I feel like it's almost never. <laughs> so um, to not work overtime, do my nine to five, stick to it stick to my routine and then after work if I still feel like drawing or you know if I have my own project or my own uh, side hustle uh work on that um but always have something that's not artistic uh to work on whether if it's like knitting or embroidery which is still like artsy but it involves you know using your hands uh to craft something, uh, to build something. A
0: different set of arts. Yeah, it's a different, it's not, it's not so tied to it that you feel like it's contributing to what's burning you out.
1: Yes, exactly. And, uh, I was never into video games, but, uh, I I've heard a lot of people do play video games after work or they cook, you know, they focus on just, you know, tuning out, cooking, read a book. Uh, start your whole nightly routine and relax your brain cuz more often than not it's overly stimulated and you you want to make sure that you get the proper rest and this is something that I learned now on like my 4th year 5th year ish of being in the animation industry this year has been all about that you know don't bring uh work home <laughs> if you have any side projects that you are um, Absolutely excited about share them. Uh, have something that's that's not work related, something that you want to do, something that comes from you, not from a team or from you know uh, something that you're working on for somebody else.
0: I understand the like temptation to do too much too, because I think mm-hmm. right now we're talking about like new slates and things like this, and and in a lot of ways, I've always enjoyed writing, but it hasn't been until the last couple of years that I really was like, okay, I'm going to concentrate on like being able to write novels. There's so many moments where I'm like, okay, I need to like spend all this like, while I'm cooking, I should be listening to a course about how to improve my craft. And I think Mm. that this is all good, but it's like, well, okay. If I am listening to how to improve my craft, listening to things about my craft, as soon as I get up, whenever I'm not working on my craft, like, if i'm doing that all day long it's going to burn me out mm-hmm. um even though that's different than like the actual sitting down and writing of it and so mm-hmm. like having those having those hobbies and interests that are completely separate that i can go to that kind of fill me up rather than like exhaust me it makes it so those moments where i am trying to learn or i am sitting down to write like i can do that more efficiently and i can do that better because i've invested in my in my own health by by saying okay, I need to take some time, you know, both on like a, a weekly basis, like yes. sending aside a day of, of the week to to rest, but then also kind of on a on a mini scale on a daily basis, and even even smaller than that, like a, in a writing session, mm-hmm. to to take a break and instead of look at a phone, which is again another stimulating <laughs> <laughs> stimulating thing that we're all tempted by, yes. uh, and just do something that's a, like a little more calming. Um, And it's, it's hard to do because in the moment you think, oh, the cost of doing the cost of looking at my phone isn't that big. The cost of doing this other little thing that I need to do isn't that big. Mm -hmm. Um, But it all adds up.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: I think that's, that's a good takeaway for people who are listening too because you know a lot of people listen to the show just because they like to hear about creativity and why artists create and things like this mm-hmm. but then we also have a lot of artists who are actively pursuing different arts and i think especially if they're when they're just getting into it like you were saying there's this temptation to just like throw every single ounce of your being into yeah,
1: it and, just and it's just go, not go, sustainable go. right yeah, yeah it, it i mean it's great that you have that drive it made sound like I'm shooting people down even I thought I was being shot down when people were saying like don't burn out you know be careful you're working way too much and I'm like no like I I felt like personally attacked I was like what you can't you don't think I can do this so I just like go and like drive it even harder but that really did burn me out I think the wisest thing to do is to you know, think of, like, slow down. It's okay. The work is not going to go anywhere. All right? So, of course, you might be thinking, like, yeah, it's not going to go anywhere unless I'm working on it. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, hear me out. It's not going to leave, you know, it's it just, you just breathe. It's going to be fine. Pace yourself. Learn of ways that you can pace yourself. The best way to work that muscle is to not burning burn it out, you know? Uh, uh, otherwise, you're going to injure it. Uh, which is, I, I believe I injured myself to some degree, because I I cannot focus as long. I think I'm back to square one with like, I, I thought I was doing so well with my ADHD. Uh, my focus was getting better. The more I organized myself, and um, the more I slept, you know, the more I nourished myself. But over time, after burning myself out, I realized like, okay, this is really bad. And it only showed, la- you know, uh, it showed last year just how burned out I was and I didn't want to work anymore. I actually wanted to quit the industry because I was so burned out and um, it was a really sad time. Like I-, I had to go through, I guess, a reinvention or reinventing uh, period uh, or season in-, in my life last year just so then I could take a step back and reconsider what i should do during my day which is i need to live you know more than than i work you know you have to really work on yourself uh and uh relax as much as you can um make that a a part of your routine
0: so i do think what i want to end on is kind of related to that too and kind of the greater question of the show so you talk about how much work it is to do all these things and that you hit these different times of burnout. And, and I guess my question is, what is it about the field of animation and arts in general that even after you got burnt out on it, that you decided to say, I'm not going to hang this up and, and move on to a completely different career. I'm going to stick with this. And, you know, like what you were saying before, like make a blank slate, like, okay, I, I learned from this and now I'm going to, I'm going to approach it again. But with what I learned like what made you decide that that as hard as all of this is I'm going to I'm going to stick to this field
1: yeah i would say the storytelling aspect of it sure there's a lot going on in the world but what makes me happy is also what makes other people happy which is like watching or listening to a really good story And entertainment in general is, it it does offer an escape from reality, but it also teaches you if the story's well or told well enough and it has a really good moral, you will learn a good moral to take with you through life. Hopefully, that will inspire you, you know, to uh, either do better in life, turn things around, you know, that, that you don't like teach you how to change those things or just, you know, you watch something nice that passed the time. <laughs> but I think more more often than not, what I want to do is to inspire other people. I hope that there's more talent out there that's trying to inspire others and teach others. I, I hope to teach others. I feel like I do have to stay in order to keep learning. Cause I, I feel like I haven't, you know, I don't know everything. <laughs> so I feel like there's a lot more to learn, and in the process, yes, I have a few projects going on, which maybe we can talk about some other time. But but those are the things that keep me going, and also seeing people's reactions uh, to those projects, even though they're not finished, I like to show them to people to see, like, oh, am I going in the right direction? You know, and uh, just seeing their reactions is so worth it, <laughs> whether if it's positive or or even negative, because uh, some criticisms are very important, I think, so that you know the type of audience that you're trying to, trying to please or trying to entertain. Uh, and if that audience in which you're showing your projects to isn't satisfied, <laughs> you know, then you know. And if they are satisfied, then you know, like, oh, I'm moving in the right direction. This is really cool. You know, I let's keep going. So just seeing that, it, it makes it worth it. And it does make me want to stay. And even if I don't like the projects that I'm working on, which are mostly preschool, uh, I, I would prefer to work on something, you know, for an older audience, like, uh, you know, teens specifically. It does help to have a... A side project that you are proud of you know that that you know is making other people happy and yeah that that makes it worth it in the end
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. You can find links to Eliana's Instagram in the show notes, as well as a sampling of her artwork at causeofcraft.com. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and follow Cause of Craft on Instagram for the latest news and updates. If you enjoy the show, please consider sharing with a friend and leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations, send an email to john at causeofcraft.com. That's J-O-N at causeofcraft.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.